Hi there. I'm so glad you guys are here. Welcome to the Peculiar Book Club. Tonight is a really special show because I love everything to do with the brain. And we're going to talk about brains and minds and memory. And some of that's kind of scary, too. So I'm really excited. And we are going to have a good time also because it is once again time for Squid Quiz with Sarah McAnulty. So she'll be on tonight, too. Um, and we have Davey back. Davey! Hey, everybody. I'm back. I'm back on camera. I'm back with you. Um, yeah, I am excited tonight. This this book did an interesting job of bouncing back and forth between the narrative and the science and back to the mm -hmm. narrative a little bit. So it is going to be an interesting Taking conversation notes. tonight. It's like, hmm, I remember how to do that. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's so much fun. And so tonight, oh, and I see a couple of people saying hi to Davey. Hi, Davey. We're glad you're back. They're like, oh, good. It'll work this time. <laughs> Davey! Um, so before we head into announcements, I want to, of course, introduce our lovely author with an explosion. Hello, Lauren. <laughs> nice to be here. Yes, it's so good to see you. So, you know, we had a chance to chat just for a few minutes uh, before we got started, and I am going to do some announcements. But before we do that, I thought, you know, you say a little bit about how you got into writing this book in the first place and about your own experiences. And um, I just, I thought that was really meaningful. For those who may not know or haven't gotten to the book yet, how did you come into this really, really fascinating subject to research? Well, I actually knew a virologist who found um, the first few cases of this mes mysterious amnesia of people who overdosed on uh, fentanyl and woke up without the ability to form any kind of new memories. Um, and one of the ways I knew him was because I actually had a memory problem myself where I suddenly um, did not know where I was, who I was. It's called jamais vu, as in never been seen. So I just was typing away early one morning in my laptop and suddenly, you know, I sort of get this feeling of dread and I'm looking at the green walls and thinking, am I in the middle ages? Like, oh my who God. am I? Like, I couldn't tell you my name. It was like a complete break from all my memories. Like I just didn't know anything, which was really terrifying. Um, yeah. And then, Turned out I have like a, a benign brain tumor. And oh my. Um, so, you know, there was one idea was I should get brain surgery, and I didn't like that idea. So I asked Jed Barish, because he was my neighbor, what should I do? And he looked at my brain scan. He's like, this is a nothing burger. Just take your medicine, your anti seizure medicine, and you'll be fine. And he was right. So then when he came along with this story of um, people, you know, it sounded, pretty crazy that this small fraction of people taking fentanyl would somehow blow out their hippocampus, which is where you form new memories. Um, I took it seriously just because I knew him to be like a very level-headed uh, person. So that, that's how I got into it. That is that is fantastic. Um, I, I shared a little bit in the uh, announcement letter I sent out to, we have a newsletter that goes out to all of the peculiars, that um, one, part of my interest is that I too have had some unusual memory things which they thought might be temporal lobe epilepsy and it wasn't and then they thought it might be temporal lobe migraines and they're not sure but i would have uh I, I didn't lose memory so much as i would have i would get aphasia which um stops you from being able to process language and it's very difficult to have a conversation with yourself about yourself if you can't process words also words are what i do so that's a little bit scary anyway uh, I haven't had them since I was in, in college, but um, as I was reading your opening in the book, I was like, oh, I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> so that is that is amazing. Um, we have a couple of people uh, saying hi. I, I threw a couple of them up there earlier. I see Rebecca Gibson is with us and Amanda Johnson in 100 degree heat in Ogden, Utah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but also, uh, both Leanne was saying, there's nothing like writing from the gut. It's so personal and introspective. And I, I think I really understood that from your writing from this particular book, too. So um, before we get too deep into it, I'm going to pull up, I'm going to have Davey pull up the announcements. I'm going to share a few announcements with you guys. And I'd love it if you guys would uh, type your questions over in the comments. It takes a minute for those to fill in. And if you could put a cue in front of questions so I can keep the questions and comments 
apart because uh, there's a lot, there's a lot in this book that we can talk about. Davy announcements. Aha. So first of all, I always try to remind everybody uh, how to connect with us. I don't know if this was a good idea or not, but we're everywhere. <laughs> we're a bit scattered out. The Facebook page has the most followers, but the Facebook group is where all of us hang out. Uh, we share our hobbies and pictures of my cat kayaking and dressed as Spock and stuff. Um, and also uh, get to know each other a little bit better there. So I hope that you'll join our Facebook group if you're not already there. It's also a really good idea for you to visit our website, which has kind of everything else in one place, including our newsletter, which I think is next. Announcement next, maybe? Oh, yes, it is. Um, so we recently switched to Substack. I've explained that a couple of times, but trust me, this is better. Um, you can join for free or you can join as a VIP member. VIPs get a few more shows, a few extra shows we do throughout the course of the year, plus swag and other cool stuff. I'll be hitting the um, the resubscribe, you know, gravy train thing uh, a little bit harder in the fall. But I hope you guys will join us either way. Next is, I forget what's next. Oh, yes. I wanted to advertise this. One of our mavens has been wonderful. Actually, I think she's here. Amanda we, has been wonderful for building bookclub.com. If you have trouble remembering when our shows are, <laughs> um, if you subscribe to our bookclub.com feature, it, it actually sends you notifications about the meeting so you don't miss anything, reminds you of what books we're reading. It's, it's really handy and really helpful. We also have a Goodreads page that Jennifer has been uh, shepherding for us. And the Goodread, Goodreads, bleh, Goodreads page also has the little, uh, a lot of the little book promo videos that I've done for, uh, for the folks. So anyway, that's a good one, book club. And I think next is, oh yes. If you want some swag that we have a bunch of it available on the spread shop and you can kind of tailor your order. So if you want, you know, hoodie versus long sleeve shirt, et cetera, you can get it there. But I know we're all been waiting for this one. I hope you have tried the cocktail because this was a really good one. Uh, Kat came up with this. It's made with tea, which I just doesn't, it would not occur to me to make cocktails with tea, uh, but it's made with white tea, absinthe, and gin, and lime. We do have a, in the newsletter, we included uh, a mocktail as well. And the name that won was Sweet Oubliette, though there were two runner-ups, Green Fairy Forget-Me-Not, and Ravaged Recollections. So those were the runner-up titles, but Sweet Oubliette is the cocktail for your book, Lauren. We're really happy to, uh, to have done that. Last and definitely not least is Davy. I think, right, Davy? There it is. There we go. I, I, movie club. I lost my mouse for a second. <laughs> all right. Um, it takes a while of time to switch the slides and copy all these links into the chat for you. I know. So. Sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, Lauren, in honor of your book, we try to find a movie to pair with one of the books every month that might overlap on themes. Normally, we go big and broad. This is a small indie film that is available on Hulu. So if you have Hulu or you have a friend with Hulu, it's available to stream there called Little Fish. And it's about a virus that starts affecting people's memories. And uh, it, it seems like it's going to be kind of a kind of a, like a horror, almost like zombie-esque type movie where this virus is spreading. But then it becomes, yeah. seems like from the trailer, becomes a more intimate tale about these two uh, featured here on the poster and their relationship and trying to remember. So uh, yeah. our Darren, my, my movie podcasting co-host, suggested it. And so we're going to, Take a risk on an indie film and dive in and see what themes kind of overlap with your book. A little That's bit. fantastic. That's fantastic. I'm going to add in there because I, I say this on the podcast, but I never get to say this here. Um, if you are listening on our podcast feed, make sure to leave a rating and review uh, both mm. for this show and for the Peculiar Movie Club uh, show. It helps the show grow. It helps other people find it uh, in Apple right. Podcasts or wherever they're listening. So, Leave a five-star review, leave a comment, uh, and I put the uh, the podcast link there in the chat, too, if any of our video listeners want to get over there and listen uh, to some of the audio feed. Yeah, and the audio feed, uh, Davey actually makes us sound better uh, from the video feed, and then, of course, he, he does. He takes away all the, you know, squirrely things that I do, um, but the, the film podcast is really, really good, too. All of this stuff is up on the website, and I've tried to make it easy to find. It's just... 
you know, it is, we have warehoused it a couple places. Somebody just said uh, the Peculiar Book Club, we're like Visa everywhere you want to be. <laughs> so thank you, Anthrogirl. Um, I already see three questions queued up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop right in because some of these are really good ones. Um, Leanne said, this is your first book. Is that true? That is your first, it is your first book, right? Yes. Or no? It is. Okay. Do you have a concept of an ideal reader? How would you describe your ideal reader? What advice would you give to an ideal reader? This is a great question from Leanne. So uh, my ideal reader is someone who's curious and open-minded. Um, and I think um, that's also what you need to be to be a scientist. And I, yeah, I think true. what I found writing this book was that not all scientists are <laughs> curious and open-minded. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I mean, that's just how you should be as a human being, I think, is curious and open-minded. So, you know, willing to awesome. see something that no one else has seen and consider that it might be real. Yeah, which, and I'm, I know that you have other books planned in the future. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about those now or if you can talk about them, but we know there will be more coming from Lauren. Yes. Um, I'm happy to talk about it now, just briefly. It's actually uh, pretty different. It's a historical fiction. Um, and it's set in the early 1900s in New York about a young conventional woman who uh, thinks she has her life all mapped out. And then she has a seizure at a coming out ball. And it was not good to have epilepsy at that time. You were considered a defective degenerate. And so mm -hmm. she's sent to a colony for um, epileptics and where Men and women are separate, so they don't have children, and they work the land. Um, but despite that harsh treatment, she actually discovers who she is um, and finds a way to advocate for the other colonists. So that's awesome. Based on and a lot of factual, I did a lot of research. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, did you give us the title? Imperfect Creatures, which I took from a speech by a eugenicist who was like, mm. we need to take care of these imperfect creatures, but make sure we oh. don't have any more of them. So I would probably be here if I were Right, so, right, yeah. yeah, yeah, same, same Z's. Um, it is, it's just really, um, it's it's pretty horrifying. I'm running into some of that in my, in my book too. Uh, Leanne says, more books, yay. <laughs> Uh, Amanda says, you know, curiosity leads to living your best life, you know, whether that leads to research and breakthroughs or not. And I think, I think that's true. It's, it's a way of kind of, uh, of seeing the world in a, in a fresh and exciting, exciting new way. Amanda Johnson says, do you think telling the story about opioids and amnesia in this way has made a difference? I admit that I'd not heard this connection before reading the book, me either, which is pretty interesting. Um, you know, it's a, pretty rare phenomenon compared to the number of people who are addicted and the number of people who die. Um, mm. But I keep hearing from people, they find my email and they say, this happened to my son, you know, what do I do? Mm. There's no help. Right. Um, and I know that some research has been, um, there's a young resident who has made this his career now to do research based on reading my book. So it has definitely increased awareness um so that that's good and i think the more people who know about this the better so that they can get help for someone that it happens to yeah um, yeah and not be kind of blown off by the healthcare system right you know as somebody who has some invisible disabilities myself it's it's really appalling at how often people just don't take you know don't take what you what's going on with you seriously especially if you don't if you're not in the category of humans who count. Uh, I love to tell the story of the history of heart disease, that because it was considered a businessman's, a white businessman's disease, it got lots of funding um, in ways that some other things that it doesn't always happen. This uh, is a, sort of a follow-up question from Kristen Meston. She said, I finished the book feeling like the connection between fentanyl and the syndrome still wasn't entirely scientifically accepted or proven. Has anything changed since your book was completed to strengthen the link? And I was wondering if if the new researcher is is sort of part of that? Um, no, I mean, the thing is, you could never 100% prove it unless you gave someone fentanyl um, without any other drug right. that would right, uh, right. mitigate the effect. So it just cannot yeah. be proven. But there are so many lines of evidence that point to that, that it's sort of like, 
you know, we might say we can't prove that cigarettes cause cancer, but really all the lines of evidence point there. Right. So I, I think right. it's kind of the weight of the evidence. The weight of evidence. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it is now um, like a, what do you call it? There's a medical code for it now. Okay. Which is just being implemented, which is great because now when someone comes into the emergency department with this, you have to yeah. put the code in. And so this is in there. So they'll put the code in and now they'll be able to have a sense of the uh, the prevalence of this, which up right. until now has not been possible. So, so I, I work at Case Western Reserve University and with a lot of doctors and uh, we do a whole course. I've helped with a course about coding and you just, you don't realize how much doctors, like their hands are tied, like how, how uh, brainwashed they are to like, the codes are so important mm-hmm. to them, right? Like they can't, they can't function. They can't move forward if there's not a code in the system for it. So that is a big step. It is. It is. And yeah. it's, it's funny yeah. how much that matters. I mean, that's why, that's why so you know, long Lyme disease we've had, um, we had Chris Newby on the show earlier in the year and talking about long Lyme and now long COVID and you know, all of these things were sort of brushed off. Like, well, that's not a real thing. Uh, you know, and I know people who have long Lyme, so boy, it's hard to make these things. Once they become accepted as a thing, then all of a sudden you you might have, you know, research funding or yeah, Anthro Girl says coding equals billing equals money. And that's, 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 yay, capitalism. Woo. <laughs> um, you know, to that point, though, also, it's sort of like, who who is this happening to? Um, yeah. If this were happening to little kids, you know, everyone would be like, we got to figure this out. Um, and as right. much as people say, you know, someone who has a substance use disorder, we shouldn't blame them. People do. They do. Them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they do. They absolutely do. And this is, uh, that's something else. I have two more questions I want to, I want to get to here and I will, I promise guys, but I do think that it's something really important in your book is that these are human beings and we care about them through your story, you know, and that is something that, is so often lacking if you're just looking at charts saying this person, do you know what I mean? It, they become numbers instead of instead of people. And um, I was wondering, I'm going to get to these two questions. But if you guys had questions about about the people she mentions, I mean, it, their lives are real, and it's 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 very exciting, and it's very now, you know. So Leanne asks another question. She said, you take great care in your writing to depict scientists as real people. There is, everyone's real in your book uh, <laughs> as real people with home lives as well as work lives. Um, and uh, I appreciated that too. She asks, why do you think this view of scientists is so important? Well, um, you know, I used to work for the PBS documentary series, NOVA, and we always said this thing, which sounds sort of silly, but scientists are people too. And I think we forget that. And so there are people for for good and and all that's good and bad about it. You know, they they have other things that are distractions. Um, They have egos. They have stuff Mm -hmm. they really care about. And um, I I just think it's it's important to remember that they're they're an entire person, not just their research. Right. Absolutely. And I think I suppose the humanizing element of this is what makes your book very, very readable too. It's what makes it trade. I think it's what's made it so popular is it's not just scientific facts. It's a narrative. It's a story. You're telling us stories about people and we care about them. We read the story and we care about them and we want to know that they're going to be all right, you know, and, and that's how it is when you know someone with an addiction problem or substance abuse problem or, or with a disability. We were just uh, earlier, I I ran through the chat. Rebecca Gibson was saying even anorexia was considered degenerate, you know, um, epilepsy was considered degenerate. When you know people with disabilities, you know, people with, um, with substance abuse issues, they're not numbers anymore. And I I think that your book does a a marvelous job of, of making that real. Um, Sadie Simmons said, uh, my mom was addicted to opioids for a few years and it led into her dementia, Alzheimer's diagnosis. This has made me curious. Is there a connection? So there may be, uh, and that's actually a study that's happening now at uh, university of Pennsylvania at a pain clinic where they're looking at people who have been taking uh, high dose opioids, uh, long-term as prescribed for pain. And then they're comparing those 
who they're comparing them with people who are taking other methods of pain control because pain mm-hmm. itself can make your hippocampus smaller and you know make your memory really? bad and all of that. Yeah, I did not know. That. So, um, so they had to control for pain. Um, so they're tracking them to see is there are people who have been taking the opioids are their hippocampi smaller than other people and do their cognitive um, scores worsen over time because anecdotally many uh, pain doctors will tell you that their patients say this oh my memory's bad since i started taking opioids um so so it's possible um that there is a connection it affects the same part of the brain the hippocampus most Mm -hmm. cases of alzheimer's start there um and there's also a mechanism at play um, that is similar in Alzheimer's. In, in Alzheimer's disease, the hippocampus early on is like highly excitable, which okay. sounds like a good thing, but it's actually a bad thing because it means it's not processing information well. Um, and in these people who take the fentanyl and other opioids, it overexcites the hippocampus, and that's what causes the damage. Um, so see. there, there are those features okay. in common. Yeah, that's interesting. But I, I definitely not. I would not say opioids cause Alzheimer's. There are many factors right. at work. And I, I think it's really important to say that and not say, I mean, if someone has extreme pain, they should right. take opioids if they're prescribed. Yeah. But I think everyone right. should consider whether it's a good idea to take them long-term. Yeah. Anther Girl said that paper just came out with a high correlation between depression and dementia, no causation or linkage yet. But I would assume that a lot of drug addicts also struggle with depression. So getting back to what your point is that it's it's a complicated nexus. Uh, that brain health is hard. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. Keeping <laughs> your brain healthy is hard. And stress makes it bad, too. And we live in now. Uh, there's some stress. And uh, I think, you know, even the way memory works is is peculiar in all sorts of ways. And we'll get to that, too. But I wondered if you wanted to show us your hippocampus model. Oh, yes. So I found so, this in a bike shop. This is uh, a hippocampus. I mean, this is a seahorse, which um, the hippocampus sort of vaguely looks like a seahorse. So that's why um, I'm, I'm a fan of, of hippocampus. And this one's cool because it's made out of gears, bicycle gears. Love it. I love it. Um, so that, that, uh, the, and I, I realized when she held it up the first time, like I didn't immediately make the connection to the hippocampus earlier when she showed this to me. And I was like, Oh, it's a, it's an ocean connection. And I got excited because we, we actually have an ocean connection. <laughs> um, I think she's here. Davy, is she here? I think, I feel like she might be here. There she is. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so, so, so we're talking about um, The Memory Thief, which is a really fascinating book, Sarah. It's it's all about how, well, it's a, a sort of a medical mystery, but it's also about memory loss and how memory works. And she just showed us her uh, show and tell here, which was a um, a seahorse that is a model in her, her model for the hippocampus. And when she first showed it, I thought, oh, we're going to have seahorses and squids. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. The more ocean, the merrier. <laughs> and I, I might have something fun here. Uh... Oh, oh. This is what you know. I love going on my Google image searches. I do. So there's, oh, yeah, there's what it does look like a seahorse. I can see it. I can see it. Like it, a dead one. Made, uh, it looks a little bit like an, a xenomorph alien baby as well, but yeah, <laughs> you know, seahorses are cuter. <laughs> so we have Sarah on to, to deliver our squid quiz, and then we'll be sort of at the half point uh, in the show. We've got much, many more questions that have popped up for the author. So you guys keep typing those away. And um, in the meantime, Sarah, do you want to wanna take it. us into squid? Let's do I it. I would love to. Okay, so hello. I am here to bring you the squid of the month. This month's squid is one of the more enigmatic squids, one of the uh, more famous squids. Uh, Certainly a lot of um, mystery around this squid. Let's go and introduce the Humboldt squid. So the Humboldt squid is quite large. It's not the largest squid or even, you know, in like that top 10 largest squid, but they're still pretty big. And they also uh, run into humans more than many of the other big squids. So they take up a lot of space in our imaginations, certainly. I have to put a disclaimer, this picture makes that squid look a little bigger than it really is. It's a bit of a like uh, perspective thing, like my hand's not really that big right now. Um, (laughs) 
just saying, but they can be up to like six feet long. Um, what's interesting is year to year, the uh, Humboldt squid can be different sizes on average. So some years they're like six feet long, they're quite big. Other years they're like two feet long. They're like, mm -hmm. it, it depends a lot on environmental conditions that year. Um, sometimes these squid are known as Diablo Rojo, so the red devil down um, in Baja California where they live in huge numbers. Um, they swim in very big groups or squads. Um, they are curious. They are cannibalistic. They communicate with each other while they're hunting, not necessarily in like a wolf pack situation, but still in a, uh, hey, I got this one. Like, uh, oh, you're good. Okay. Yeah. Right. We're like, hey, don't eat me. If they're cannibalistic and communicative, right? Yeah, they are. We're not the wolf pack on this show. We're the squid pack. We're the That's squid right. pack. That's squid right. squad. Squid squad. Um, they can live, you know, pretty deep, but occasionally they'll be nearer in the surface. Around 2010, they were coming up further north, um, as far north as uh, San Francisco Bay and north of there. Um, but typically they live south of there. Uh, but with climate change, everything's kind of unpredictable. You never know where you're gonna find a Humboldt squid these days. Uh, so, you know, stay on your toes on that front. Um, they're suckers. So the, the suction cups all along their arms have rows of teeth. Now this is pretty common in squid. Many squid have rings right. of teeth, but the ones in these squid are uh, pretty intense. Um, more intense, in my opinion, than than many other squids, and they're kind of a kind of a bit of a golden sheen to them, that are uh, pretty serious. Let's go to the next slide. Let's show you some of these in action. Now, this is not a trick of the light. This is not flash photography. What you're looking at here is these squid flashing white and red to communicate with each other. Um, scientists have watched these squid in their groups flashing and have identified a number of patterns um, that they think could be maybe used as like a syntax, uh, which is to say like words in a sentence, kind of maybe, but we don't know. We have to do more um, research to figure out if that's what's going on. But the scientist who worked on this uh, work was like, maybe that's what's happening. Hard to say. Let's go to the next slide. So here in this uh, this one paper, um, th there are pages and pages and pages that look a lot like this. It's all of the different uh, patterns in the greater vocabulary of this animal. Um, in these diagrams that show the different body patterns or behaviors of an animal, we call these ethograms. Uh, ethology, I think, uh, is the study of animal behavior. And so an ethogram is, you know, a uh, visualization of animal behavior. Um, all right. I think that's all I have to say about this particular squid. It's a cool one. It's a big one. We love them. Um, let's do your pop quiz question for the month. Um, if you'll recall from uh, previous months of the squid of the month, uh, we looked at Octopatuthis. Octopatuthis was a relatively deep sea squid that got very startled by a certain object in the video that I showed you. What object? startled Octopatuthis? Was it a metal grabber? Was it bright lights? Was it the toilet brush of science? Or was it blowing water from the ROV? I know this one. I love Octopatuthis. Does anybody want to guess? All right, Peculiars, fill up the chat. What do you think? You have to do. I know this one because it was so weird I had to remember it. <laughs> yeah, I think I have a guess as to which one this one is. <laughs> Everybody's like, mm -mm, you I'm know, guessing. the the trying to trying to figure out their language made me think of the movie Arrival with Amy Adams. It's very that. They're looking yeah. at yeah, yeah. the linguist trying to one. figure it out. Right. Yeah. Nobody's guessing. You guys, it's the toilet brush of science. It's the toilet brush of science. <laughs> it is. Oh. Uh, yeah. So that's all. Um, just so you know, uh, if you like learning things from me specifically, I'm teaching two classes this fall uh, in September. I'm teaching a class on uh, mating rituals of the animal kingdom. We will talk about flirting. We'll talk about mating. We'll talk about um, non-reproductive 
sexual behavior in all different kinds of animals from springtails to elephants. And then uh, we'll talk about parenting and how some animals do it a lot and some animals just, uh, you know, lay eggs and then forget about it. Um, in October, I'll be teaching a class on the deep sea. Um, we'll be talking about the history of ocean exploration. Uh, we'll talk about all the weird deep sea fish invertebrates and then also how humans are affecting uh, the deep sea. Uh, I'll give Sweet. lots of good book recommendations in the deep sea course. Awesome. And it's hilarious, but like everybody's guesses came through late. So that's what all those were. <laughs> so I was not alone in guessing the toilet brush of science, as I see. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Sarah, for being with us. And we got our squid of the month. And everybody can remember that we, we have these in the chat as links. So you guys can check it out. Thank you, Sarah, for being with us. Thanks for having me. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So I see we have, oh, she's still here. She's haunting us like the squid of ghosts past, the ghost of squids past. Oh, there she goes. Bye, Sarah. Um, two more questions have popped up, and I know some other ones are uh, headed our way. But following up on that earlier question, Amanda asked, is there a dopamine connection to? I just got Dopamine Nation by Anna uh, Lamke. I don't know how to pronounce that. Lamke? based on recent hidden brain episodes, because I think we are uh, bleeping up our dopamine levels, which affects memory too. Is that true? Do we, do we have links for that as well? Yeah, so I mean, any drug um, will release dopamine um, because, well, there's this, you know, it's commonly known as like the feel good neurotransmitter, yeah. but that's not really what it is. It's more about like, pay, pay attention. There's something different mm -hmm. going on here. Um, and so if you take a drug, it's different and you pay attention and you get a dopamine release, which also enhances learning, which is one of the reasons it's so hard to break an addiction because you've right. learned this sensation like really, really strongly. So, yeah. so that is a connection. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's fascinating. The other question I had, getting back to the hippocampus, I, I know I read it. Who named it? When was this discovered? It was quite a long time ago, wasn't it? Oh, it this is some Italian, uh, like in the in the late 1600s, I think. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say it's been a long. We forget knew it too. what it looked like. <laughs> we exactly. knew what it looked like. We just didn't know what it did. And you know, it's interesting because um, most of the brain is somewhat undifferentiated. I mean, there's like mm -hmm. these lobes that are clear, right? And the cerebellum that's clear, but the hippocampus is weird because it really has this very distinctive structure and so it's been the subject of a lot of attention for that reason um it just looks yeah. different well and i mean let's face it it's a big soup in there it's just gray soup right <laughs> yeah but this I, is like this weird little seahorse in the middle of the soup i've done some serious research and by that i mean googling it in 10 seconds and uh, apparently the name hippocampus is derived from the greek hippocampus hippos meaning horse and campos meaning sea monster so Seahorse yes. monster. Perfect. But it wasn't Italian okay. who made oh, it. Yeah. Who, who made it. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was yeah, going to guess so it was yeah. Mario Compass, and he, he was, he was nickname <laughs> was Hippo growing up. So <laughs> I feel this is, this is, I hope this is the direction for the quiz, David. This, is, <laughs> this sounds good to me. Oh, you have no um, idea where the quiz is going this week. <laughs> I when we, we, we need to take our musical break uh, now, and I, but I did want, um, for us to return and talk a little bit about how memory actually works, because I know that it doesn't work the way we all tend to, all the metaphors we have for recalling memories are, are sort of wrong. Um, so let's, let's, so everybody get your thinking caps on about how you think memory works and get your questions ready. We're going to go to our music. This is Charming Disaster. And I thought it would be appropriate if we listened to their song, Disembodied Heads. Oh, hello, Peculiars. We're Charming Disaster. And we're about to play a song off of our forthcoming album, mm. Super Natural History. Yes, and this song is called Disembodied Head. You need some air, you go outside 10,000 
Disembodied head. I was just noticing up here, Kath. Uh, Anthro girl said, "Did we, did we do this one already, or am I having one of those deja vu, deja vu moments?" You remember it, Kathleen, because they uh, played it in their concert last Christmas as one of their uh, lead-up songs. But um, <laughs> oh, Anthro girl thought it was about heads in jars. This is great. Too bad psychology jobs don't pay as much as uh, as writing in IT. <laughs> Um, it is a great song and it's it's kind of fun. I think I missed a couple other questions in there. Sorry. So I was running downstairs because my computer was gonna die, and I realized <laughs> that um I left my charging cable somewhere else, but I got it back and I made it here just in time. <laughs> I think it's an interesting question about deja vu because deja vu was actually the first indication I had that I was having some kind of seizure problems. Um, I would have deja vu sometimes all day like you just watch a rerun of the whole day and um it's interesting because my deja vu was always me catching memories sort of in stereo a little bit and i think that's a fun way to walk into what exactly is memory tell us lauren is it like <laughs> oh okay i got it all <laughs> it'll be completely clear in the next three minutes um <laughs> Also, I want to say I also had deja vu, and it's the weirdest experience because oh, it is. for me it was like something completely trivial, like oh yes, I have stood in this grocery store holding this banana, getting ready to weigh it before, and you know, like you haven't really, um, right? So you're there, and it's it's pretty weird. Um, well, and I would remember having thought that I'd be like, oh no, I stood here before and thought about the fact that I have like, I, and that would just keep going. <laughs> You had like double deja vu. Yeah, because I would think to myself, oh no, I'm having yeah. deja vu. And then I would think, oh my God, I've said that before. Oh no, I said that before right. too. And it would just keep going. <laughs> Yikes. Um, so it depends what kind of memory you're talking about. I think most people are interested in memory for their life, right? So things that right. they can explicitly remember, events, episodes. Um, and that's where the hippocampus really comes into play for explicit memories. So those are both like episodes, but also what's called semantic memory, which is like your knowledge of the world. Um, and the idea is that 
over time, your uh, episodic memories, like, um, uh, let's see, that you saw Nixon on TV or something, right, um, right. will consolidate into, it will sort of abstract that into some knowledge about the world. It won't just be the time that you watched Nixon. It will be, oh, Nixon was president, and it'll be kind of stripped of its event-like nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the idea is there's basically three stages for memory, and one is encoding it. So all this information is coming into your brain, sights, sounds, smells, emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that gets stored in all different parts of the brain. But kind of the index to those components of the memory are in the hippocampus. This is the idea. So that then that um, the consolidation part, I always seemed like a little bit of hand-waving to me. But the idea is that those um, connections get strengthened every time you remember them. And so they get consolidated and then they get retrieved um, later. So, but what I found most upsetting is uh, that you really can't trust your memories. (laughs) It's not just that, you know, some people say I have a good memory or a bad memory. I don't think I have a particularly good memory, but even your most cherished memories, every time you remember them, your your brain is in a new state. You might be happy. Mm or you just learn something and um, it gets incorporated into your memory. So every time you remember something, right. it gets contaminated, which is kind of upsetting. It's so wrong. It's like the more you remember it, the more it degrades in some bizarre yeah. way. Um, yeah, yeah, that seems so unfair, you know? Um, but it's, I, I think for me, it's this concept. It's like, uh, it's like bit torrent, you know, like I was expecting in my head, I thought, okay, so I've got, a little retrieval engine, you know, I've got a search engine and then I've got this, it's all memories stored back there like a computer. And we use computer analogies all the time and they're completely wrong. <laughs> it's not how yeah. it works. Um, it's instead like, I mean, I, it's not BitTorrent, but that's what it makes me think of. It's like, you're pulling little, you have no idea where all these little bits and you got to reconstruct them. Like you're actually yeah. not recalling it, you're remaking it. And that's just, that sounds like so much work. <laughs> yeah. And that's also why you can't really tell the difference. I mean, that's why false memories get encoded. You actually can't tell the difference between a real memory and a and a fake memory. It's very easy to suggest to someone that something happened to them. And then once they picture mm-hmm. it, there it is. In the yeah, brain. yeah. Because you, so you, you say make, something you bad about fact- someone and it mm-hmm. sticks, you know, because... Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's crazy because you're, you're manufacturing images either way. Kathleen says, my memory today feels like a sea monkey swimming through Swiss trees while shrunk. And she followed it up with, I meant drunk. drunk, which is even funnier. Yes. <laughs> oh, Sadie, Sadie Simmons says it's like degrading microfiche. Yeah, that is kind of what it's like. Um, well, but it, you know, it doesn't degrade. It, it just evolves. Evolves, right. But it's no longer accurate because it's evolved. Well, yeah. you know, I sort of. Though, you know, if it's that subjective, I say just, you know, make up new stories with better plot lines. Like just keep revising. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like it, it changes into something completely different. It just mm-hmm. gets a little bit changed every time, which is it's, horrible. It is really uh, It's like, wait, no, I want to keep some of these memories like pristine and pure and only pull them out. Like at certain moments. Um, yeah. When I, um, when Kristen I really Weston want to enjoy them. Brought something up really interesting. And I, I know this has happened to me too. Uh, she says, I recently started driving through an area near an, an old workplace, like it was 20 years ago. It was mostly unfamiliar, but not only has the familiarity returned, but memories linked to that time have returned too. And that's a peculiar thing, isn't it? It's how there's linkages, like, and what you were saying, they get stronger each time you do it. Yeah. So um, especially if those were like emotional memories, I mean, the more content mm-hmm. that's in a memory, the stronger it's going to be. Um, sense are really good at triggering memories. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like you woke up that group of neurons. Yeah. Um, and then they start pulling together all the other neurons. Although one neuroscientist I talked to said it, it actually, it's just a pattern that represents your memory. It does not have to be the same neurons that were involved the first time you formed that memory. Yeah, that's it's weird like too. a game of pattern matching, which completely blew my mind. 
Um, um, yeah, we're just born I, with patterns and, and then we match them to meaningful um, events in our life. And that certain pattern then is the memory, but it could be made up of different neurons. That is crazy. Cause it's like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, so the memory, when you pull up a memory, it's akin to you taking uh, a toy apart into tiny little pieces and putting it in a box. And then later when you get the box out, it's a box of a different toy and all its pieces, but you're going to build the same thing out of it. That's insane. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it awesome, insane. but crazy. Um, yeah, I love it. Leanne said, uh, I can get in a trance almost doing just jigsaw puzzles or knitting when all of a sudden a memory pops up. What's odd is that the same memory tends to pop up over and over again. But maybe that's not odd because you said that uh, we tend to hang on to the, that we're the ones that we repeat are the ones that stick. Well, it's also not because you've paired that memory with that activity of knitting. Mm. Yeah. That's true. This is fascinating how people who were with you at the time remember things differently or don't remember the particular scenario at all. I am convinced that my brother and I maybe didn't grow up with the same parents. <laughs> we just have radically all different memories of that. Um, and my, my mother certainly has different memories of our childhood than we do. <laughs> That's why diaries are good. Yeah, or not, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Um, oh, Anthro Girl says, even traumatic events, my whole family went through the exact same thing at the exact same time, and we all tell different stories, even about that one very, what should be a very sharp, you know, memory. Yeah. Oh, Amanda says, okay, one totally brings back the early 90s and sculpting my claw bags. <laughs> Um, Sadie Simmons was saying, I, I read about memory during blackout drunks and how the brain can't make memories when someone is blackout drunk, not that they just don't remember. Is that, is that sort of a, a, is that relating to the hippocampus again? It must, it must do. Well, you can't make a memory if you're not paying attention. So, mm. I mean, I didn't particularly look into that question, but it makes sense that you couldn't make a memory yeah. because you're not actually noticing anything. Right. Right. Yeah, it's um, and also you just hurt your brain so badly that yeah, so, you know, it's and of course, we we also have this wonderful, I mean, pop culture and I, you know, I wrote a book about head transplant, obviously. So, you know, the Frankenstein imagery and the idea that if you stuck a brain somewhere else, would it retain all of its memories? That if memories are stored, but kind of related to activity, would you have the same memories if you were in a different body? All questions we can't actually answer, but, but, but fascinating to, to think about. Um, One of the, my favorite things that I researched in the book was um, this guy, um, Wilder Grace Penfield, who um, pioneered the surgery for epilepsy. And mm -hmm. he went in there kind of looking for what's the, what's the irritable tissue, what's the disease part of the brain that we can remove and stop the seizures. Well, part of the process was probing around to find where the bad tissue is, but also where the good tissue is so that he wouldn't remove anything. So the patients right. had to be awake during this time. And sometimes he would, um, probe a certain part of the brain and they would remember something from long ago. And it would seem to be something, you know, trivial. Like I hear my mother singing down by the river. I'm at the carnival or, you know, my cousin's telling jokes and we're laughing. And um, it was like they were seeing it again, living it again. And so he sort of wow. developed this idea that um, memories get stored as films. So he was kind of missing the part that they actually, it was like playing a film, but like changing the color of it every time or something. Um, so he thought that, you know, the brain was kind of a storehouse of memories. But it's related to that idea that, you know, you'll, you'll um, smell something or see something that will then trigger and pull up the whole memory and you know if he's like probing it with a big fat electrode that's that's quite a big trigger <laughs> no kidding i yeah um i had to talk about lucatomes and uh the other day for a program i was being filmed on and i, I don't want anybody touching my brain was pointy things um kristen meston said the book has definitely made my stress level about dementia rise based on grandparents on both sides having had it. Is there anything brain health wise you can personally start doing, you know, after all of this to make things you know better, to improve your odds? 
I, I started playing the guitar. Did you? <laughs> because one of the things I learned is that, um, you know, the more you exercise your brain, the better. Um, yeah. And it's not like Sudoku or crosswords and that, but you really have to challenge yourself. You have to do something hard. Um, and so basically anything you can do for your brain health is going to, um, you know, reduce your risk of, of dementia mm-hmm. or just make your brain better equipped to handle it. Um, yeah. So just take care of your brain and your body. Uh-oh. Yeah. AJ, AJ Jacobs is not going to like to hear that. He's, no, he's he wrote like- the book, The Puzzler. <laughs> <laughs> but he did the hardest puzzles in the world. He did do the okay, hardest. Okay, well that's good. Maybe that. Yeah. yeah, it's like the mini crossword won't won't work for you. I, I do the mini. I do the mini crossword every day, and I know it's not helping me, but I enjoy it. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I think. Oh, here's here's a good one. Uh, this kind of gets. It, I wanted to talk about this myself. She says it's the deja vu thing, thing that really gets me puzzling. Says Kathleen. How can I be so convinced I did the same thing or saw the same thing before I did the thing? And uh, she's referencing the Matrix here. If you guys are um, are listening to our our podcast, and you know, I think I remember my neurologist when I was asking about this phenomenon. I said, "What is actually happening?" Because you know, how's it? And he basically said, "I was I was getting that your memories happen much faster than you realize." And I think we we can understand that when we think like how long of a dream we seem to have had, but we've been asleep for just a couple of minutes. And so it's that style of, of thing that memories happen so fast that you can actually have two memories, like a memory and a memory go together. Like you've kind of re I've re looked at the memory twice, but it happens so fast. It seems like once in a memory to, to me. So that's how he explained it. And uh, I, I was also having hallucinations, but my hallucinations were basically memory overlap. So if I did something earlier in the day, I would be walking down the street and all of a sudden, like there'd be this overlay of things from earlier in the day suddenly popping up that I knew couldn't be there. Like I thought there was a cow in my dormitory room and I knew that wasn't a thing. Um, Cause I was, I was looking at cows earlier. Wow. We were, I was in an art class and we had to draw cows. And so I spent a lot of time staring at a cow earlier in the day, went back to my apartment, uh, my apartment and thought I saw one. And he said, well, the gaps get, the gap's too big. Brain doesn't like gaps. They don't, it doesn't want, it wants to fill in those gaps. And so he said, you know, your brain's trying to rerun the same script because he's like, uh oh, you know, we're waiting for, you know, it's like waiting for the the actor to get there. He's being late. So it's like, well, keep playing the music. So uh-huh. that's what it's doing. It's just throwing everything at it. I have no idea if that's a correct explanation, but it was really helpful. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I tried to find some neuroscientists who could explain it to me. And they're like, mm-hmm. you know, we actually like really don't know. <laughs> yeah, your <laughs> brain appreciate the honesty. <laughs> I, you know, it's 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 a fascinating it's fascinating, and memory is fascinating. Um, so we're getting kind of late in the show, and I want to get to the quiz with Davy. So I want to do that, but I'd like to come back at the very end and just say what what are what's the prognosis? Is there hope? Because I felt like your book also has a lot of hope in it. It's not all you know terrifying and and, and scary stuff. But first quiz time you know brandy i i don't think you needed to explain to us why you were staring at cows i think we we would have just accepted okay that's just something brandy would do that's something brandy would do it's so true you know <laughs> all right so for the quiz uh i like to find a little thread in your book or something that i can tug on and, and see what kind of quiz we can go down and there's something very specific you get to towards the end of the end of your book and it's about young blood and this idea mm-hmm. that maybe young blood can save us or help us and so you know there's an expression obviously young blood is kind of a slang term uh for young people with new ideas and things like that so i googled young blood and i was kind of surprised what came up so the quiz this week is called googling young blood and we're going i mean i'm telling you you're gonna be really surprised um by the things that come up and in fact this is a quiz where i don't even expect you to be able to get the answers right, I expect everyone to have fun guessing. So okay. um, right. the term Youngblood comes up a lot in the music scene. There is a British artist named Youngblood, a rapper, I believe. The Australian band Five Seconds of Summer had a number one song titled Youngblood. And even the Beatles performed a song called Youngblood on the BBC. But the Beatles version was originally a hit for what 50s group? Was it A, the Coasters, B, the Drifters, or C, the Everly Brothers? Definitely C. 
I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the drifters, but I I'm loving the fact I was sitting there thinking about the Countess Bathory and thank God Anthro girl is, is just as weird as I am. Cause she was thinking about her. She's the one who bathed in blood. Um, Rebecca Gibson guesses C. I think that's pretty good. Um, Amanda said Amanda's pointing still using blood for skincare. Kristen says B. I'm going to go with B. Anyone else? All right. We've got some B's and C's. Final answers, everybody. Peculiar's last chance. It feels like our chat is really behind. Uh, it is a little bit behind. The answer is the coasters. The coasters. <sighs> That's what you put your drinks on. <laughs> you know, I'm really sorry I couldn't invite Jed Barish onto the show because he is amazing at trivia. He definitely <laughs> he would have loved that. Score well. He would have loved it. All right. Well, let's see how you do with the next That's one. I think. Okay. Uh, when people hear the phrase young blood in Madison, Wisconsin, they probably think of this local business. Is it A, the Young Blood Beer Company, B, the Young Blood Hot Sauce, or C, Young Blood Bloody Mary Mix? I've I even C, lived yeah. in Wisconsin. Yeah, I don't know. She's going with C. Anyone else? I, I, I did live in Wisconsin. Bloody Marys are for hangovers. There's a lot of boozing up in, in Wisconsin. It could be. It could be that. Hmm. So nice, I like alliteration, young blood. It does. Bloody young Mary blood, Mary. bloody Mary. Rebecca's going with you on that one with C. Amanda says C. Kristen says I have zero knowledge of Wisconsin trivia. <laughs> Everyone's going with C. If C does sound the most fun. All right. All right. What what are we right. what are we saying here? The answer is maybe I threw C in there on purpose because it sounded so much fun. The answer is A. It's young blood beer coming. One of your quizzes where they're all A's again. <laughs> it's an experimental microbrewery with multiple locations uh, around Madison, Wisconsin. So if you're in the area, are any of the peculiars from Wisconsin? I don't think so. I don't think we've ever heard a high from Wisconsin before. I don't think we did. We've got a lot of Minnesotans. But, but uh, if you're in the microbrews, uh, maybe check them out. I don't know what maybe young they use blood. blood. I never, you know, maybe yeah, it has blood in it. There's blood facials. I just saw somebody mention that. All right, final question here. One person, one person did JGP guessed A. Our All only, right. only guess for A. So that, that was a good they one. They didn't guess. They knew. They knew. <laughs> they knew. All, All right. right. If you want to watch the movie Young Blood, you'll be treated to an entertaining film about a young man trying to make it as a hockey player, starring this '80s brat pack actor. Is it A, Emilio Estevez, B, Judd Nelson, or C, Rob Lowe? And oh I wish God. I could blow up that picture so you could see what the young Brad Pack. Remember what that 80s Brad so Pack funny. was like? Yeah. It's either A or C. I, I guess I'm going to go with A. Emilio? I don't know. I don't know. Well, Emilio was in Mighty Ducks. That's right. Kristen just yeah. mentioned Mighty Ducks. I had to go to Mighty Ducks because I wanted to go see Interview with a Vampire and I wasn't old enough. Mighty Ducks was a classic. It was a classic. You're right. Okay, we've got a lot of A guesses. Amanda says A. Bonnie says A. That is a, a picture I found of the Brat Pack, which I still I I love that. Like Amelia's in the pick, so I'm going to go with A. Actors. If this turns out to be A again, and these were all A's, but now I feel like you're going to trick us, and it's not going to be, and it's going to be like Judd Nelson or something. Lauren, what was, your, what was your final answer, Lauren? A. A. The answer A. is okay. C. Rob Lowe. Oh my god. <laughs> A very young, Ooh. a very young Rob Lowe. I watched the trailer a little bit for it. Um, um, so, we're yeah. still talking about the young blood beer here. They're like beer experimental in what way? Do they uh, use blood, vaginal yeast beer? What is it? I think they're just trying to be cool. Uh, let's see what the descriptor here says. Madison, oh, Wisconsin, there, serving up dank, drippy vibes just off the Capitol Square. Focusing on IPA, Sassons, and lagers with a modern twist. Ew, dank, drippy? I'd yeah, like to sell my okay. beer. Let's go with dank and drippy. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, so none, nothing on their recipe list actually seems like it has anything to do with blood, so or young oh, blood. Alas. Or... I mean, maybe that's maybe that I don't dank and drippy just tells me all sorts of things I don't want to know. I don't know. I so when I lived in Wisconsin very briefly. I lived in uh, La Crosse and I, I lived in an old brewery that had been converted to apartments and down the street from an actual brewery. And it has two smells, okay? Smell one is like baking bread and that's nice. Mm -hmm. And that's some of the time. 
And the other smell is like rotten horse carcass. It's so bad. <laughs> and so like those were the two smells that you had at any given time, usually together, which I which mm-hmm. has been burned in my memory in ways that make bread much less fun than it used to be. Oh, that's terrible. Well, if we ever need to remember something from that period in your life, you know how to bring those memories back. Brewery smell. Brewery smell is bad. Oh, Rebecca says the other smell is dog food. I didn't get dog food. I just... Amanda loves breweries. I bet you wouldn't like the smelly ones, though. Maybe not to live next door, too. Anyway, you didn't open our windows a lot. So, well, I, you know. I warned Lauren before the show started that it was probably a quiz where nobody was going to know any of the answers. So uh, next time you come back, Lauren, I'll, I'll, I'll try to ask you something in your wheelhouse, more in your wheelhouse. It's totally fine. I mean, I, I worked my brain, so that was good. That was yeah, good. you worked your brain. She dementia. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anti-dementia. So before we leave, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the more hopeful things um that are in the book because i i didn't think your book was depressing i didn't there are some sad and unfortunate things in it but there's there's a lot of things that are good that that come out of this as well so i was wondering if um if you wanted to share a little bit of that before we bust out of here sure so like on the on the personal side um owen rivers who's the young man i follow who who overdosed um is doing incredibly well um he actually got a scholarship to uh get a master's in clinical social work um, nice, so he, nice. Not to the East Coast. He lives alone, um, so he's managing his life, and he wants to treat people with addiction and early childhood trauma. He hasn't used drugs since his overdose, um, and he says he, he wrote an essay for the end of the book, and it was just beautiful. But he said, you know, I wish. He said, I'm so grateful for my life and everybody in it, and all my experiences. And I, you know, if there could have been a kinder, gentler way to impart that wisdom to me rather than losing my memory, that would have been great. But here I am today. So I, I feel like he's just um, an amazing person and really a testament to people's ability to overcome pretty terrible things. Um, awesome. And then on the Alzheimer's side, um, you know, I think it is more hopeful. I, I'm not hugely excited about the drugs that have recently been approved, like I don't think they make a whole lot mm-hmm. of difference, but there are enough people right. trying different things now um, that, um, you know, I think there will be drugs coming down the line and that there's no silver bullet. It won't be like, oh, take this drug and you'll be fine. It, it might be a combination of, of things that you take, mm-hmm. kind of like AIDS, um, but mm-hmm. also like yeah. there are tools for screening people. So someday it'll be mm-hmm. like when you go and you get your cholesterol levels checked, and if they're high, you know, you take statins. Um, and so I think Alzheimer's will be like that um, eventually where yeah. people can really reduce their risk. So um, yeah. the sooner the better from my time. perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there was a time when when we thought HIV was never going to be manageable. And 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 it it is. People live full, you know, productive lives. Amanda Johnson right. said, I, I really felt for Owen and his story got me to keep reading past my bedtime because I wanted more from him. <laughs> um, and Kristen said, I was heartened by the way that technology helped Owen navigate the world without memories, alarms, apps, reminders. Um, and that we, we are, we're living in a world where uh, we are pretty lucky. Um, so I, I think that all of this has been, um, you know, again, it's, it's always hard to read a book that brings you up against something like mortality. I, and I feel like many of us feel that the loss of, of memories in Alzheimer's is, is like an early mortality before mortality. And so um, it's, it's frustrating and upsetting, but it also, there's a lot of bright lights that shine through. So thank you, Lauren, for being with us here tonight. It was wonderful to see you. Uh, it was wonderful to see all of you as well. And I am looking forward to seeing you in August. Couple things to remember. There's only one show in August. So, you know, we gotta make it a good one, but it's Riva Lair and she's going, we're gonna be reading Gollum Girl. And Riva is a disabled activist and artist, and the book is a, an autobiography, and it is, it's going to move you. It is. So, um, yeah, I really look forward to us talking about that. That's at the end of August. <clears throat> and in the meantime, please make sure that you're keeping up and watching the, uh, or watching for the podcast on the film, too, which is kind of a testament to Lauren's book as well. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. A place where, if you're weird, your family.